hey, turn in your Bible to Psalm 103, and I want to tell you what's going on here today and also this uh, next, the rest of this month in September, um, especially if you're newer to the church, just want you to know the trajectory of our teaching. Um, so a couple things. Number one, today we, we've been in a series on freedom in Christ for uh, three months, actually. And today we prayed and we felt like the Lord uh, put it in our hearts to close out what we've been talking about through prayer. And so half this service is just going to be that. And so I want to encourage you that once my message is done, uh, don't leave uh, unless you have to. Amen. Sometimes you do. But this will be a time of worship and prayer. And what we're doing is seeking God for his freedom. And you know, you don't have to be all broken and messed up. Um, Although some of us, we got some things in our life that really need to be fixed. But I think sometimes we only receive prayer when it's really bad. And I think that's part of the problem is that we're struggling or maybe suffering or we're unnecessarily walking through pain on issues that maybe only us or a few other people know about. And the Lord can give breakthrough in our life. And he often does that simply as we ask him. Sometimes I was, well, one time I was studying the Bible and I was reading a time where Jesus healed someone. And I was like asking the question, why? Why did Jesus heal this person? And it was like for no other reason other than the person asked Jesus. And you think, Pastor Ben, that's too simple. But you know what? I want to contend with you today. I think a lot of people don't ask Jesus. I think it's really that simple. James actually spells it out quite clearly. You have not because you, and yet we have not learned the lesson. And so today I hope to bring to you a little bit more of that. Amen. I want to close our series by just sharing a few thoughts out of Psalm 103, still in our Freedom Series. Next week, we're going to start a collection of conversations called Christ in Culture, where I'm just going to go over a ton of stuff. Um, and it's really easy for people to get offended on most of the topics that I'm going to bring up. And that's really on you. Because <laughs> if we can't open the Bible and talk honestly about what it says, I just think we're in the wrong place <laughs> or our heart's in the wrong place. Can I get an Amen. And uh, it's not political, guys. This is spiritual. A lot of issues are just biblical. We make them political in our world. We pick sides. But let's just not do that. Let's just say, what does the Bible say about all of the things that our culture fights over? I don't care what the culture says. What does the Bible say? That's all we care about. So I'm going to do my best. And I know you're praying and fasting and believing God for Pastor Ben to get it right. And if you're not, come on, start doing it now. Because I don't stand up here like, yeah, I got it all down. All right, anyways, uh, turn in your Bible. I said Psalm 103. Let's go ahead and pray. My message today is called Forgetting to Remember. Sounds good to me. Father, we thank you today for your word. We believe what the psalmist said, that it's a lamp unto our feet. It's a light to our path. We need your word. And God, I pray by the Spirit today that you would illuminate the Scripture I pray it would come alive in our hearts. We need it, God. We need freedom. And your word, it's like a hammer. It breaks the rock. It breaks the hardened heart. And Father, today we pray that your word would be infused into our life in a fresh way. Spirit, would you just lead us? God, we ask you to lead us into all truth. And we pray you'd pour out your presence upon us. We ask for freedom. When we go to prayer today, I pray you would set us free. Set us free in areas we don't even know we need freedom. We thank you for for it today. In Jesus' mighty name, everyone said, amen. Amen. As I said, we've been in the Freedom Series for uh, three months, and I personally 
have grown through this. I don't know if any, anything's encouraged you. I mean, you're still here, so that's good. But I've personally grown through this. I've had to revisit things in my life. I try to share openly, honestly. I try to be as transparent as possible without going too far. But it's been a blessing in my life to think through the implications of what Jesus fully paid for on our behalf. Like, it's not just a little bit. He, it is finished, were his words on the cross, that we don't have to strive for some type of performance to get something from God, but Jesus actually did on our behalf what we could never and still can never do. And so we thank him for that, but we want to walk in that. God, I want to walk in everything that you have made available, all of the freedom that you said is ours in Christ. We want that. And so we've been going after that, talking a lot about it. And today we're going to pray that very thing. And I just have some thoughts in Psalm 103 that I think might help set us up just a little bit today. And I'll read the first five verses. So here's what the Bible says. Verse one, he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Everybody say none. That's, not, that's all. Don't, don't forget one of them. Amen. Don't forget none of his benefits who pardons all your iniquities. He heals your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. He satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Amen. This is the word of the Lord today. King David starts this psalm, interestingly enough, by blessing the Lord, and not only that, but he's telling his own soul to bless the Lord. That would just mean praise the Lord. It's very similar to that word in terms of what he means. And we find this throughout the Psalms. He's saying, bless the Lord, or I will choose to bless the Lord. And he's talking to himself. He's not telling anyone else to do it. He's telling himself, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, all that is within me. There's actually a term today we use for uh, talking to ourselves. And let me ask you a question. Does anybody talk to themselves? Do you guys do that? It's so funny. I was, <laughs> it's like too many of us, you know. Uh, we used to think that meant you were crazy. And there are categories, there are categories psychologically where that certainly can be true. But this is a phenomenon that many of us participate in by show of hands. It's very true. I do this. I do this far more then I want to admit I caught myself doing it in the middle of studying for this message just once. That was it. But I do actually participate in self-talk. And the reason that people do this, there, there actually is, if you were to study this, you would find that it's something that they now have nailed down, that there are reasons that people, that people do it. But just in a summary, the primary reason that we do this is that we are processing verbally what is going on internally. And there are many of us that need to do this. There are many of us that just can't help ourselves. And so we find David doing that. He's telling himself, praise God. But I think in this proclamation, we have to kind of take a step back and recognize that as David is telling himself to do something, he's recognizing that there is something missing. He's wrecking by telling himself, I need to do this. You need to praise God. He's recognizing that he's not praising God. There's something missing in his life. He noticed that his expression 
toward God does not match his experience and his knowledge with God. I've got a big God who does incredible things and I'm talking about him as though that's not true. And so I'm gonna tell myself it's time to match those two, who he is with the way that I live and the things that I say. He's recognizing that something is missing. I'm not speaking in a way. I'm not worshiping in a way. I'm not praising in a way that God is worthy of knowing who he is. I think he was probably writing this in a slump. I think he's on, on, you know, he's on the curve that's going back up, but I think he's in a slump, recognizing something is missing, but now he's on his way up and he's encouraged back towards the place that he ought to be, but I think he's probably recognizing that circumstances are dictating his spiritual life. He has to come to a place like that just like, just like we do. I think he's saying something like this, I cannot have a superficial praise when I have a supernatural God. Come on, that was pretty good. You guys are just... Second service, they're going to be alive. All right. Or maybe he's saying, I can't have a nominal prayer when I have a phenomenal God. It shouldn't be possible. So he says, all that is within me, everything that I am, every fiber of my being, God deserves all of my praise because he's the one that set me free. The Bible says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. They got to be saying something. And I'll tell you what, introverts, it means you too. You say, well, that's not my MO. The Bible doesn't actually have a category for you, okay? You don't have to be as loud as the extrovert to your right or to your left or in your home or the one that you're raising. You may not have to have that, but you got to have some praise or some thanksgiving coming out of your mouth toward God at some point. Or maybe it is you got to be reminded of who God is and what he's done in your life. And that's why I love the Psalms, because I think David, while he might go into a slump, he sure knows how to turn it around. He sure knows how to turn it around. Praise is where we proclaim God's worth and value over all things by calling to mind his mighty acts in our life. And hidden in his proclamation is a revelation that we can, and we often do, slump back into a lesser version of what God has given to us in Christ. Now, this, of course, is the Old Testament, but we would relate this as people who are New Covenant believers. And I just want to share two things that I think this passage implies um, that will help us as we go to prayer. Number one is forgetting God and all that he is and all that he's done hinders our spiritual life. And verse two, he says, don't forget his benefits. Don't forget the bennies, Okay. Benefits are rewards, deeds, the dealings of God, the the deeds of God, the things that God has done. And the Bible is full of passages that warn the people of God not to forget what God has done or who God is because this is a common experience for people that call themselves followers of Jesus. This is a common experience that we tend to forget all that he has done and all that he is. And so the Bible constantly calls us to that. And there are two things that we tend to forget. Number one is we forget what God has said. We forget what God has said. And we know what the Bible says. We know there are promises. We know who he is. All of that stuff we technically know, but we have this thing in us, this capacity to forget. And I want to tell you today, it's not a memory problem. You're like, oh man, that's, I, I got, how many of you think I, I would love to remember more in my life? You don't even want to, don't even remember, you should 
ask for that, all right? <laughs> but I wish my memory was better. People always tell me, oh, you're so good at remembering stuff if they only knew. It's not true. And it gets worse. Like your memory gets worse over time. Isn't that right? <laughs> I told you a story a couple weeks ago, and it's so true. It happens uh, for married people. It happens for single people. But for married people, you get in a, a real good fight. And then at some point, uh, you could just go out of the room to get a sandwich or whatever, and you come back, and you don't even remember why you were fighting. You're like, what was that even about? And then she doesn't know, he doesn't know, and you just move on. You're not even trying to avoid it. You just don't remember. And I don't know, that's kind of a hidden blessing, maybe. I'm not really sure what that is. But um, anyways, we thank God for whatever uh, we can get. But this is not about a natural memory issue. This is a spiritual problem. Forgetting what God has said is a spiritual problem. Our enemy, demonic spirits, they seek to deceive us through a constant barrage of lies, trickery, and half-truths to seduce us. Seduction, seducing means to reduce us down to something less. It's to be reduced. To seduce us into something less than what God has said. There's, there's, there's an enemy assault on your life right now to be reduced down to something that is not true. And when you buy into that, whether you know it's happened or not, you live in far less than what God says. And, and we know there's more, but for some reason, we're not, we're not living in that. We're not looking for that. We're not praying for that. We're not praising God for that. We're just living in less. Because there's an assault on your life. There's an assault on my life. In, in the garden, the enemy deceived Eve into eating the fruit that God forbid. And then God came to her and Adam and confronted both of them. But specifically, when he came to her, when he had finished talking to Adam and he starts talking to Eve in verse 13 of Genesis 3, he asks her, why did you do this? And she says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now, sometimes we say she's blame-shifting, and there's a partial truth to that. But the word deception or the word deceived, one of the meanings in Hebrew can mean he caused me to forget. He caused me to forget. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to talk to us long enough where we forget what God said. He was very clear to Adam. And Adam somehow passed this on to his wife. And so now the enemy comes to distort the clarity of do not eat. I forbid you to do this thing. Do not eat this. And so he comes to distort so that we can't see it. It's kind of like when you have a television set and you don't get that channel and it's just distorted. Or it's when you turn on the radio and the frequency, you can't hear the song. You can hear it a little bit, but it's distorted. It's enough for you to know there's something there, but not, for you, not enough for you to enjoy it. Not enough for you to be able to understand it. He wants to distort what God has said, the clarity, the reality of his promises, of his commands. And if we listen to the enemy long enough, we will be seduced into a half-truth. Happens all the time. Happens all the time. Usually, in my experience, the enemy is coiled around something that the Lord doesn't want us to go near, something that the Lord doesn't want us to participate in. He's coiled around that thing, and there's like an attraction, and, and the longer we listen to that voice, a stranger's voice, the more it is that we become seduced. You might ask the question, how did somebody do what they did? 
How did they go down that road? How did they fall off that cliff? How did they buy into that lie? How did they, listen, we listen to his voice too long. We allow that distortion in our mind and in our heart to take us away from what God has for our life. And it causes us to go into this slump, like freedom is available, healing is available, salvation is available, but we're not praising God for it. We're not praying to God for it. We've lost sight of it. This is why he says, don't forget who God is. Don't forget what God has done. Why? Because the people of God have demonstrated in the Bible and throughout history that that is something that we participate in far too much. When we forget God's word, we lose track of what he wants to do and we settle instead of contend. Friends, I want to tell you, you are contending people. We are a resilient people. We are people that are called to take a stand for God in the midst of persecution and difficulty. We were born for days like this. Some people want to get out of these days. They do. Isn't that right? They want to get out of the, I can't wait for the rapture. I can't wait till he takes me up. Listen, unpack. Why are you trying to get out of something? We're called to be here. You're resilient. You're strong. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Why do we get seduced into thinking that we're just some weak-willed people at, at the mercy of a culture that is just lost? That's not who we are. We're the people of God, sons and daughters of God, blood-bought, washed in his blood, cleansed, purified, on our way to heaven and taking as many people with us as we can. That's who you are. Pastor, man, it's so hard, though. It's a, you got heaven coming. You got healing coming. You got a titanium body coming or whatever it is. I don't know. <laughs> got a brand new, all these aches and pains. You got a new body coming. Something better is on the way. You don't look encouraged about that. I sure am. <laughs> I mean, my knees don't work right. I swear they don't talk to each other anymore. Nothing. <laughs> you guys need to coordinate. I don't understand. I'm looking forward to what's coming, but I'm going to use where we are and what we're called to do. We forget what God has said, but we also forget what God has done. In Deuteronomy, Moses charged the Israelites more than nine times, just in that book alone, not to forget what God had done. He's giving his final dissertation to the children of Israel before they go into the promised land. They've been longing for this 440 years. And now they're about to obtain the promise that God had for their ancestors and ancestors before them. And they're on their way in, and Moses is giving them all of this information and reminding them of the Ten Commandments, reminding them of the commands of God, the promises of God. And he's telling them, you've got to remember what God has done. If you're going into a new place with a new people, with new fights and new difficulties, and all these blessings and promises, you have to remember what God's done for you in the past because it isn't always going to be easy. And we think a promise means we don't have to fight. Have you ever thought about the children of Israel going into the promised land and they have 55 wars ahead of them? And that just doesn't sound like a promise. You know, to me, if God promises me something, I'm just sort of waiting for it to come. Wherever it comes, it's, it'd be nice if it had a pretty little bow on it. It was delivered to my doorstep like the Amazon man. It'd be great. I get a ring at the doorbell. There's the promise of God. That's not how it works. He gives you a promise because you've got to go from here to there, and there's going to be some things that will challenge what he's told you is supposed to happen. 
And we lose all of our understanding in that time. Like we, we needed the word. Like today, people want prophecies. Pastor Ben, give me a prophecy. I used to travel and speak and people would line up, give me a prophecy. I'm like, you don't know what you're asking for. See, friends, if God gives you a weighty promise and a prophetic word over your life, it's because you need it. It's not some sugar pill. The Pentecostals are like, woo, God told me I'm amazing. That's what people line up for. It's like popcorn prophecy. We just, we just want some cheap thing. Do you want that? You want somebody to look at you and go, you're so great, and you know they don't mean it? No, of course not. God, I want you to give me a word that is from you and that is for my future. And whatever you say, I'll believe it, I'll grab a hold of it, as long as it's from you. That's all I care about. I don't want some cheap prophecy. Listen, if you want to stand in line to give me a prophecy, it better be from the Lord. I didn't get an amen at all. I mean, I love the gifts of the Spirit. I want that, but I don't want some thing that just is like a sugar pill. You know, you, you pop it in your mouth and the only thing you want is another one. And that's what people do today. They just want this thing, you know. No, no, no. God gives you a, a real word because there's challenges and you're going to need to believe that word. He gives words like, um, I'm sort of going off because I feel the freedom. Uh, I'm waterlogged, you know, <laughs> trying to get this thing going. <laughs> get it going. Amen. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, Peter gets a prophetic word from Jesus at the end of the Gospel of John. Peter's upset because John uh, gets this word um, about, about his life. And uh, Peter's kind of like, what about everybody else? But Peter gets this word from Jesus like, you know, when you get older, you know, this is what's going to happen to you. And in the book of Acts, Peter goes through all this stuff. And there's a time where Peter's in prison and he's singing. He's going to die the next day. Literally, his execution has been set. But he's singing. You want to know why he's singing? Because he got a word. When you get old. You didn't pick that one up. You'll get it on the way home. <laughs> he's like, this isn't it. Jesus himself told me, when you get old, here's what's going to happen. So in a jail cell under persecution and duress, he can sing because Jesus looked him in the face and said, when you get old, here's what's going to happen. So this can't be it. See, God gives us words, and we tend to forget why he gave them and what they're for. They're not just to feel good. And so we look at the story of the Israelites, and this is just an easy one to pick off because they were set free by God powerfully, supernaturally. And I bet they came out of Egypt singing praise. They were just, bless the Lord, oh my soul, all that is within me. They got all the gold of Egypt and they, they misused that. But anyways, they're walking out of Egypt and they're singing praise to God, aren't they? They're so excited. Freedom, yes, I can't, I can't wait. I bet you they're dreaming about their future, talking to their kids, oh, this is gonna be so amazing. It's gonna be so great. And then they go into a desert and they don't have water or food. They saw God open up the Red Sea and they walked through. That really happened. They saw that. They get on the other end. And you would think, I would think that they would now know how to call on a God who can do anything. And they forget. They forgot what God had done. They keep forgetting what God can do. God provided for them. God delivered them. God set them free. But all of a sudden, we've got spiritual amnesia. And we went from praising to complaining. And that's not a gift of the Spirit. So now all they're doing is complaining. They're complaining against God. They're complaining against 
Moses, and I think the same thing can happen to us. We can forget what God has done, that he saved us, that he healed us, he delivered us, he provided for us, he encouraged us, he transformed us. Yeah, you're not all the way there yet, but God has worked in our life. God has worked in our life. But here comes the challenge, the difficulty, the pain, the temptation, and we forget all, all of that. Had a young man ask me last night, why do I still have temptation? And I said to him, because there's value in you learning obedience. There's value in the process that the Lord wants to teach us how to submit and how to worship in the face of other options. That's why. Otherwise, you'd just, you'd just be done. We'd be perfect. We'd, be all, we'd just go to heaven. But there is something about us becoming like him. And to do that, we've got to believe his word, and we've got to remember that what he's done before, he'll do it again. He keeps working in our life. He never stops. So Israel gives themselves to complaining. They forgot what God had done, even though they were warned against it. But look at the impact that it has on their kids. In Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, after that whole generation, the one we just talked about, had been gathered to their ancestors, and that's a cute way of saying they died, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now, how did they not know what the Lord had done for their fathers and mothers? Because their fathers and mothers didn't tell them. And isn't that what Moses said to them? And you're rising up and in your going to bed, tell your kids what God has done. They need to hear it. They need to hear that you've been saved, that you've been set free, that you've been healed. They need to hear that he answered prayer because we don't always know. And our kids, this is what happens. It says, they did not know what God had done for Israel. Look at this. Then the Israelites did what? They did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They served the gods of culture, even though those gods did not deliver them what they promised. They didn't know God. Don't forget God. It affects your praise. It affects your prayers, your spiritual life. But it also, friends, it affects our children when we don't tell them what God has done. And we just got to remember that today. The impact has an echo into the next generation. God calls us to raise our kids in the knowledge of him, not just teaching them the Bible, but teaching them how the Bible has impacted and affected our own life. Our problems need to provoke us toward his promise and remind us of our past testimony. Amen. This is what we're talking about. And the second point really goes there, and that is this. Remembering God releases the power of God. Biblically, the concept of remembering means this. It means to call to mind in order to observe and put into practice. That's, I mean, remembering God is not like, oh, I just mentally remember. Like when we receive communion, which we'll have a time for that today, when we receive communion, we're not just mentally remembering that Jesus died. We're calling to mind the mighty act of Jesus on our behalf and the implications that because of it, we're not the same. And that changes us consistently and constantly in our life. It didn't just happen one time, but he is constantly changing me. And so there's a refreshing that takes place in what some people call a spiritual ritual, but it is far more than some mere ritual. There is a reality to what it is that we celebrate. We call to mind the finished work of Jesus because he's still working in me. This is what it means to remember. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. When he talked to the Israelites about that, he's saying, heed what I've said to you. 
Remember, call it to mind so that you're sure to walk in what I've said. This isn't just a mental thing. Remembering the word brings revelation and personal revival. Look at what Psalm 119 says, verse 93. And by the way, it says this seven times in different ways in Psalm 119. He said, I will never forget your precepts, for by them they have revived me. I will not forget your word. Because of it, I have been revived. If you want a good reason to read your Bible, I just gave you one. I will not forget. I'll tell you what, if you don't read this, you will forget. It's deception to think any less. It's deception to think any less, right? And that is the deception, isn't it? Well, I've read it. Well, I have a good Bible knowledge. And that right there is a misunderstanding of what this is for. This isn't for something we used to do. This is for us to daily diet of knowing what God has said because we need it just like we need air to breathe, just like we need food to eat, just like we need water to drink. We need the word of God in our life. It reminds us of what God is like. It reminds you of who you are and why you're here. Or we get wrapped up in this world, tries to tell us who we are, what we should be about. The advertisement just comes, the barrage comes, and things that don't even look evil are trying to distract us and distort us, fill our minds and our hearts with total insignificance. Things that don't matter. Things that don't matter. And then it's quick, it's over, isn't it? And we just dedicated Blakely, we're gonna dedicate several children next service. You know, you're young, but man, it, it goes quick, doesn't it? All, all, if you're older in here, you're like, man, it goes fast. <laughs> you're like watching your grand. I'm a grandfather now. Did you know that? That's incredible. Yeah, I know. We're, we're grandparents. And uh, she has no idea what's coming. <laughs> Little Ella Rose has no idea. It's, it's coming, I'll tell you what. She's going to have every Bible translation. <laughs> Amen. We're going to just skip buying books. We're going to go straight to Logos software. That's right. Some people are putting away for college, not me. I'm putting away for Bible software for her. That's it. That's, I don't know what she's going to get at college today. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I'm not going to talk about that right now. I know what she's going to get from the good book, though. David says, don't forget his benefits, and then he spells out the benefits. I'll just go through them real quick. Number one, remember that he forgives all your sin. Our God wants to forgive us. He wants to forgive all that we've done. He wants to remove the guilt of our sin. People carry around the guilt of their sin. If he's removed your sin, if he's cleansed you from your sin, then the guilt, the baggage that still remains, we can also discard that because he's removed it. Remember that he heals your diseases. The word heal means to totally cleanse and purify, that he is the great physician and he heals our body, he heals our mind, he heals our soul. Number three is he, remember that he heals, he redeems you from the pit. Moses and Joseph come to mind when I think about this, but redeem means to buy back. It means that we're brought back and, and we're brought out of the pit of destruction in chaos. He brings us all the way back, not part of the way back. He brings us all the way back, the pit of destruction. How many of you came from a dark place? Just go ahead and admit it right now. You came from, I mean, everybody came out of sin, but some of us, we came from a pit and we needed two hands to get back up. <laughs> We reached, didn't just reach one hand out. We said, I need help. Get me out. We needed to come out of the pit. And so I love quoting those Psalms where it talks about, he set my feet on solid ground. I'm well aware of where I come from and, and I don't want to forget because I want to praise God for what he's done. 
He redeems you from the pit. Number four, he, he crowns you with love and compassion. Now, this is a picture like the prodigal son. He goes beyond just forgiving and healing and, and setting you free. He goes beyond just looking at your brokenness. He actually puts a crown on your head. Remember the prodigal son? A ring, a robe, sandals, the fattened calf. He goes far beyond welcoming you back in the house. He says, no, no, I'm going to give you my best. I'm going to give you my best so much so that other people are going to look at that and say, you don't deserve that. And they're right. That's not our proclamation that we deserve it. Our proclamation is that his grace is amazing, that I receive from God what I did not deserve and what I cannot earn. He crowns me with love and compassion. This is the disposition of God. When you come to pray, when we come to pray and ask God to move in our heart and in our life and on our behalf, we have to know his disposition. It is an amazing thing in life when we come to someone and we're not sure of how they're going to answer us. We have hesitation. We're not sure what's going to happen on the other end. Well, we can always know what God is like. He's going to do far beyond what I could ever imagine. That's just what he, is, what, what he does. Number five, and lastly, remember that he satisfies you with good things. This is about his provision. You ever not had a job not know how you're going to pay the bills, not know where things are going to come from, start worrying, in this culture, start worrying about your retirement that you worked your whole life to save. What's going to happen with that? I mean, it's like every news feed is like, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you worked your whole life to stack up this retirement to think that you were fine. And now you're almost being told it's at any moment, it could just fly away. By the way, can I just encourage you not to read and watch the news so much? Actually, let me give you a piece of advice. You'll love me for this. I know you will. And if you don't, you should love me anyways, because you're a Christian. <laughs> don't read or watch the news for like a week. Okay, watch what'll happen. It's like going on vacation. You come back, you get six newspapers. You read the first one, and it says, the world is, is going down. And you're like, oh, that's bad. The next day, Tuesday, the world is getting worse. Like I knew it was going to happen. Wednesday, things are starting to turn around. Thursday, it's getting better. <laughs> Friday, this is a great day. Everything's going to be well. I mean, it's like if you just stop for a week, it seems to me like a lot of these things that we're seduced into thinking everything's going to go away. It's like, if you just wait for a week, you're going to get like a full picture. It seems like to me, like you look fine. Everybody, you look fine. You have to just wake up in the morning and look in the mirror. Like everything's fine. Today's a good day. I'm in a good mood, but just hold off on a week and the news, it'll come back around. Do you know the news makes money on drawing you in? You knew that, right? That's what they're writing towards. Are they writing the truth? Not usually. Sometimes. If you find somebody that is, that's great. But I'll tell you, there is good news. And I don't think we read it near enough. There's some things that you and I have not been reading so often. You know where I'm going? I think you do. Because we're going to get challenged. We're going to get challenged. And in Psalm 34, as I close, David writes this. It's a different way of going about this whole conversation. He says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Notice in Psalm 103, he says to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's telling himself to do something. In Psalm 34, he says, I will. That means I choose to bless the Lord. You make a choice. I will bless the Lord 
when doubt starts to confront, I choose to bless the Lord and believe the Lord at all times. When fear starts to creep in to your heart, I choose to bless the Lord and believe the Lord at all times. When your body is sick, I choose to bless the Lord and believe the Lord no matter what. When sin comes back into your life that you've dealt with and you've been forgiven of and that cycle starts to creep back in and those temptations come back to you, I choose to bless the Lord and believe the Lord at all times. When our marriage is falling apart and we have the word of God to tell us what to do and how to steward that, I choose to bless the Lord and believe the Lord at all times. What other people should we be? This is who we ought to be. This is who God has made us to be. Now, here's what I want to say as I close that worship team is somewhere around here. They're going to mysteriously float behind me. But give me your attention for three minutes. There will be people behind me, but I'm still talking to you, all right? I always watch people do this. I'm like, oh, come on. Give me three more minutes. Um, We are a church of the word and the spirit. We're not a perfect church. But we are a church that believes in God's word and seeks to understand it and live by it the best, as best as we can. That, amen, that's who we are. Secondly, we are a church that believes in the power, the ministry, and the life of the Holy Spirit. And that has to mean something sometimes. That has to mean that we put things away and we make a decision that we're going to, you know what, we're going to spend the next 25 minutes in worship together. You know what, we're going to pray. We're going to receive prayer. We're going to ask God to set us free. We're, we're going to ask again. I've asked a hundred times, Pastor Ben, but we're going to ask it. You know why? Because we're people of the Spirit. We're not people that just read it. We heed it. We believe it. We, we press into it. We, we lay hands on one another. That's what the Bible says. Is any among you sick? Call the elders of the church. Anoint them with oil. Lay hands on them. Pray the prayer of faith. And the sick person will be healed, raised up. And if they have sinned, then they will be forgiven. And so sometimes we have a weekend where just we're going to put a stake in the ground. We call this a weekend of freedom. I can't make anybody free. I can't make anybody healed, but we can pray and we can believe God for that together. And so I had a vision as I was praying over our weekend and I was fasting and asking the Holy Spirit to show me what he wanted to do. And I think Pentecostals get this thing wrong sometimes. We Sometimes what we'll do is we'll talk about breakthrough And I think it makes people believe, like I'll say to you, like God wants to bring breakthrough in your life and we can go, yes. And something in our brain says, that means that I'm never going to struggle with this area in my life again. Friends, that is not true. But it it sure does whip up the emotions. It, It makes me feel like, oh man, this thing, this burden that I'm carrying. No, no, no. A breakthrough is like if you're outside of your house and you've been locked out of your house for some reason and the keys are inside. And you decide to try to make a way and you figure out that there's a window open somewhere in your back bathroom. And yeah, you're bigger and it's smaller. (laughs) I'm just telling you my problem. All right. So, and so you find that open window, whatever's open to get into what you've been locked out of, that's a breakthrough. You get into the house, but when you get into the house, you still got to occupy that house. You still got to live in that house. You still got, you still are a resident of that house and you have to do whatever is necessary in order to steward that. And that's what I think a breakthrough is. A breakthrough gets you back into what you've been locked out of, but it doesn't stop or somehow stall the life that we also have to live. 
We've got to stop locking ourselves out of these promises. We've got to stop walking away from the places that God has told us that we're supposed to be a part of. We've, we've got to stop doing that. That's us living by the Spirit. And so there's a breakthrough, I believe, for us today. And I'm, I'm believing God. I'm asking you to believe with me. I asked you last week and the week before, and I wasn't, I wasn't joking. I mean this. When we do this, when we have a time of prayer, I, I believe significant things happen. And we're not a church that's going to back down. We're not, I'm not a pastor that's going to back down. Hey, that was a good word. Let's go have a donut. No, no, no. That's a good word, and he's a good God, and he still does what he always has done. Is that not who we serve? And if that's true, then we have to be a people of prayer. We have to be a people of the Holy Spirit, a people that rely on, depend upon, press into, believe on God to do what we're not going to be able to do in the same way that we got saved. We couldn't do that. We couldn't get into the house. Jesus was the key. The same way that we came into Christ is the same way that we remain and walk in him. We don't say to him, got it from here. No, no, no. We still are crippled and he still is the crutch and we need him to walk with him. That's the truth. And there's no reason for us to act like we don't have things that we need freedom in. You got an anger problem. You got a pride issue. You got a lust issue. You got cycles of sin. Do you have sickness in your body? Do you have a disappointment that has grabbed your heart and you just can't let it go? Friend, you need freedom. You've tried. Come on, you've tried. There's a disappointment that has set so far into me, it's caused me to be insecure, and I used to not be like this. Has that ever happened? And we, we're embarrassed because it's like, man, I've been a Christian a long time. This shouldn't happen. No, friends, the difficulty comes, but we know God and his word, and so we challenge the challenge with the truth of God's word. Victory is not the absence of conflict. Victory is in the face of conflict, we choose what is right, true, and righteous. And that is always the thing that leads us to greater freedom, always. And I don't want us to be confused about that. So would you stand to your feet? I know that you, um, Bridget, could you, could you pass me the communion cup right there? We have about 20 minutes here. And uh, if you, you don't have to stand to, to worship, but I'm going to pray and release us. And if our pastors and prayer team would come forward at this time, they're just going to stand up front. We have oil, and we're going to practice James chapter 5. So if your body is sick, if there's something in your soul, it doesn't have to be a cycle of sin. It could just be a disappointment, uh, something that comes to your mind. Let us anoint you with oil and pray that God's breakthrough comes in your life. And we receive that today together as a, as a community, as a congregation. And instead of doing corporate communion where we share 1 Corinthians 11 and we walk through this together, I just want to release you to remember the finished work of Jesus at any time over the next set of worship. And you receive communion as you meditate upon what he's done, as you consider where you are and you evaluate yourself before the Lord and receive his sickness or his healing in your sickness and his forgiveness in your sin. And we're just, there's a divine exchange that happens as we participate in communion and we receive prayer together. But would you put your hands out with me today and then I'm gonna release us back to a time of worship and I'll come and close here when the service is normally done. Father, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. We declare that you're a healer, that you're a savior. We declare, Lord, that you're the one that has overcome everything on our behalf. And the Bible says that we're more than conquerors. Well, sometimes, Lord, we don't feel like that. 
And sometimes that is not our life experience. And although we're in sanctification process, um, we need one another. And your word says times like this are important where we lay hands on each other and we pray and we anoint with oil. And Lord, I just believe there's somebody here today, even there's a couple, and you, you've had a hard time even getting pregnant. And that's a struggle that you've had. Lord, I pray for them, Lord, that they would be able to have a child. God, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. Just as we dedicated Blakely today, Lord, I pray there would be a promise here today for somebody that has not been able to receive. God, we thank you for that. We ask you, Lord, that you would do it and we would glorify you for it from this stage and in our community in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.